the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Yes, marriage. That blessed arrangement, the dream within a dream. That's often how marriage starts, right? You go to your wedding day, you're planning it. We're, our our family is going through that process right now with Isabel and Aaron, moving towards marriage, getting all excited about the big wedding day, all the details around that, and then you have the big day, and it's exciting and everything, and then all of a sudden... Shortly after the honeymoon, or maybe even on the honeymoon, you realize your dream spouse isn't so dreamy. It might just be a little argument, or maybe it's a big argument, but all of a sudden that dream within a dream isn't so dreamy. So what do we do? Some people in our culture even would come to you and say, yeah, you know, marriage, just don't bother. Marriage is a mistake. But marriage isn't a mistake. Marriage is something created by God. It's an institution created by God. And it's good. It's meant for us to cherish each other, to honor and respect each other, and to honor and respect and cherish that institution of marriage. And within marriage, God has given us direct instructions on how to live that marriage out, both as husbands and as wives. He's given us ways to live out our marriage and to be a blessing towards each other. One of those passages is today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So here it is, likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's the word of the Lord. That's not controversial at all, is it? No, our culture has no issue with any... Of course our culture has issues with this. And there's certain things that we see in here that, that even for us as Christians, we look at and we, they kind of might grate on us and go, oh, really? This is in God's word? But before we get into 
studying these verses, it is important for us to remember the context. In the context of this broader passage that we're looking at, Peter has been instructing Christians uh, who they are in Christ and now how to live that out in the different spheres of life. So how do you live that out as a citizen? How do you live that out as a worker or in their day a slave or a servant? And now to husbands and wives, how do you live out your identity in Christ in your marriage? And in this text, Peter is pointing to just how important a healthy marriage is when we're talking about being a light to the unbelieving community around us. Because that's also the context, right? In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And in light of that, here's how you live. So Peter's basically saying, listen, your marriages actually are a reflection of who Jesus is to the community around you. So it's important that we get these most intimate of relationships and these most important of relationships right as Christians because the community's watching us. They're seeing how we live as Christians. So... Now, for a lot of you in this room who are single, you're tempted to check out at this point, grab your phone, scroll. Don't do that, okay? Because this, this passage isn't just for married people, but for you as single people, you can be looking towards the day when you are no longer single, Lord willing, or you can actually use this teaching and what's in this passage to kind of look at the, your married friends around you, your married friends and family, and see how you can encourage them. So don't, just because this says for husbands and wives, don't check out, okay? You can pay attention. It's good for all of us. Because our marriedness and our singleness is to be used by God for a greater purpose than just ourselves. Amen? Amen. So the big idea for today's sermon is the quality of our marital relationships points to the quality of our faith. The quality of our marital relationships points to the quality of our faith. There's three points. Gospel intentionality for wives. Gospel intentionality for husbands. And then application for both. So point number one, gospel intentionality for wives. I'll read the first two verses again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter begins by saying likewise, which is telling you to go back and reflect on the context of this passage. What has he been saying up to this point? And so he's saying that, remember that there's a greater purpose in your marriage than self-satisfaction. Your marriage displays the gospel to the people around you. And please note here, uh, a mistake people often make when they come to a text like this is that women are supposed to submit to men. That's not actually true. That's not biblical. What Peter's saying is sub women, wives, submit to your own husbands. So there's a very big difference there. The, the biblical teaching on marriage and on wives' conduct in marriage is very different than saying 
women need to submit to men or women are inferior to men in some way. That is not biblical. God has made men and women equal in his image. But there are calls on us as husbands and wives in how to handle our marriages. And that's what Peter's getting into. So when you look at the society that Peter was writing to, Christians often weren't trusted. Christians were seen as disruptive in the home because they would, somebody would convert to Christ, and then all of a sudden there's disunity in the home because all of a sudden the, the religious beliefs in the home were not all on the same page. Somebody was going off script. Somebody was going a different direction than the rest of the family. And that could cause a lot of problems, especially for wives in that kind of a situation. In the Roman Empire, having a healthy home, so a well-functioning, united home, was considered the bedrock of society. That was the most important thing, that the home is united, working together, that there's peace within the home. That was considered the absolute bedrock of their society. So if disunity came into a home, that was seen as a threat to all of society, not just to that home, but to everybody around them. And so you can imagine a, a lady becoming a Christian, and she goes home, and her husband's not a Christian, her family's not Christian. This is looked at with a lot of skepticism, a lot of raised eyebrows looking at this lady now. If a wife converted to Christianity, her husband did not, she would now not only be worshiping a different God, but she would also likely, be through the church, be making different friends which was seen as a no-no in their society. The Roman philosopher Plutarch reflected in this in his, uh, his writing called Advice to Bride and Groom. Here's a quote from it. A wife ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in. So you can see how this would be difficult, right? As Christians, we're, we're called to worship the one true and living God, yet if you're from a household that worships multiple gods, and now you're called to worship the one true and living God, how are you supposed to reconcile that? Roman culture held the orderly home as paramount, and if a wife and her husband worshipped other gods, this could result in chaos. One of the top commentaries on the book of First and Second Peter uh, is Karen Jobes, and she writes this, because prosperity and well-being were seen as dependent on religious forces, disorder in the home was a threat, not only to the family, but to society. Christians were frequently blamed as the cause of public calamity because they introduced a new God, upsetting the religious status quo of the empire. So you can see that being a Christian wife in this kind of context, Christian wives had the opportunity to bring a lot of disruption. So what's the Christian wife supposed to do in this kind of situation? Peter says to be subject to her husband. So the fact that he isn't a believer 
hasn't changed the fact that she needs to be subject to her husband. What does change, though, is the reason why she's subject to him. It's not because culture is demanding it. It's because there's a greater purpose for her as a Christian. He says this, uh, so that even if some do not obey the word, being husbands, right, some might not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So there it is. The gospel intentionality. The gospel purpose for her being subject to her husband is that she may win him to Christ. There's an evangelistic heart in this. And notice that Peter says, without a word. Peter's basically saying, don't start preaching to your husband daily. Don't start directing him to your favorite apologetics podcasts or talking to him about all the amazing things that your church friends are doing for you. And instead, by your conduct, win him without a word. Don't start arguing with him and telling him why all his other gods are dumb. Win him without a word. Instead, he's saying, be gracious, quiet. Show him that you don't want to fight. That you actually value the unity and peace within the home. That you'd still, even though you've loved Jesus now, you still love the family and you still love and understand the importance of the unity and the peace within the home in the broader society. Show him that you don't want to bring shame on him, Peter's saying, but you want good for him, that you still love him, that you want peace. And in that way, the husband may be one to Christ. Now, there's some people that would say that this is where Peter's argument ends, that that he stops at this, that this instruction is strictly for divided households. But there's one word that he uses there that shows that that's not true, that this is actually for all Christian wives, whether the husband is a believer or not. And that's where he says, even if some do not obey the word. In other words, there are some who do obey the word. There are some who are already Christians. And the call to those wives was still to be subject to them. So this isn't only Peter that writes this either. He he doesn't pull this out of thin air. Um, The Apostle Paul writes this as well in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, where he writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now let me just make a statement reiterating something I said last week as well, which is that the biblical understanding of a wife's submission to her husband does not include... Submitting under abuse. The call to the husband is to love, the Christ, love his wife as Christ loves the church. And so we're going to get to husbands a bit later. 
But this is not a call to submit under times of abuse. In our culture, there are a lot of ways to get help from family, friends, from your church, from the society around us. We understand that that's not a healthy thing. Our whole society understands that. And there's help. So don't submit under a situation where a husband is being abusive. Escape. Not necessarily maybe for the point of divorce, but for the point of actually trying to bring health back into the situation. Health for yourself and, Lord willing, health for your husband as well. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. And the context that Paul writes here for, to the Ephesians is very similar to Peter's. It's in the Roman Empire. And so the instructions for slaves and masters and husbands and wives is similar as well. The context is the same. So how is a wife to submit to her husband? Might be a question. In the way she carries herself, outwardly and inwardly. Her outward appearance and her inward Attitude. Look at the next verses. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who used to hope in God used to adorn themselves by Submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, so now you read this and you go, okay, so I guess I need to stop wearing jewelry and makeup and nice clothes and I need to have a jean skirt all the way down to my ankles, right? That's the, that might be the way you interpret that, but that's actually not looking at the context correctly, in, in Christ, we are free to wear jewelry. We're free to wear makeup, to wear your hair the way you want, to wear the clothing that you like, to be a little bit fashionable. That's okay. But the problem was in the Roman Empire, when women would dress in a way that was fashionable or they wear jewelry or they'd put on makeup, well, this was seen as a woman going and looking for love in all the wrong places. Ancient Roman cougars is essentially what we're talking about, okay? We're talking about women dressing up to go find a new man. They're going out on the town, they're going to the club, they're going to the bar. They are going out all dressed up to the nines, a little provocative so that some new man will notice them. And Peter's saying, no, Christian wives, yes, you are free in Christ to dress differently than people, but when you're looking at what the culture around you believes about certain styles of dress? Maybe not. Karen Jobes, again, in her commentary, says this, by leaving her home unadorned, her intent to attend worship and not a tryst would presumably be all the more clear. So therefore, instead of dressing like a woman who's available to the world and available to any man who's looking... Dress in a way that's modest, in a way that shows respect to your husband, and be known for your inward beauty, a gentle and quiet spirit. 
The Roman culture did see this as the model wife, a woman who is known for her grace and her gentleness, a woman who thinks carefully before she speaks, a woman who runs her household well. That was valued. And if we're honest, that is a valuable thing. That that, and that's wise for all of us, to be known by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are wise things for all of us. And Peter's charge here is for lives to live or for wives to live in a way that is wise in the greater culture and, and obedient to God. Think about how you're presenting yourself in a community around you when you're testifying about your faith. Then he appeals to the biblical example set by wives like Sarah. Um, and maybe for some of you who don't know your biblical history, Abraham and Sarah were people who lived in uh, the early part of biblical history. So you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you can read about their lives and their, the things that they did. But and for the record, um, it is interesting that Abraham actually shows, or, or the Bible shows Abraham obeying Sarah on more occasions than actually Sarah obeying him. It's an interesting piece. But in Jewish tradition, the wives of Israel's patriarchs were held up as models to emulate. And this is really what Peter's referring to. He's saying, he's saying, remember, okay, you're looking at the culture around you, but remember our Jewish history and heritage as well. Remember to look back on these amazing women of the faith and to model how they lived. Like the way many of us view our grandmothers uh, who may have endured persecution or maybe lived through households where their gra- our grandfathers weren't as great. Saying, look back on the lives of people like this and emulate their lives. Persevere in their faith. Persevere through the difficulties. Um, his point here is not for wives to call their husbands Lord. So I... Please don't go home and start calling your husband. I know you're, you were hoping for that later, Rufus, but it's probably not going to happen, okay? Um, <laughs> unless you guys want to call yourselves Milord and Milady, that could be fun. But wives, I'm not saying, and Peter's not saying, for you to go home and start calling your husband Lord. What he's saying is that wives, even in your relationships at home, as you're subject to your husband's, Think about the greater culture around you. Think about how you are a witness in the way that you're acting, the way you're living, the way you're living out your call as a wife. And your marriage may go through hard seasons, like many of our ancestors did. Like if we read the biblical accounts, you read that they weren't perfect either in a lot of ways. But through those difficulties through those hard relationships and those difficult months or maybe even years, to persevere, continue drawing near to the Lord, don't give up on your marriage. 
Wives, see your role in your marriage with gospel intentionality. If your husband's an unbeliever, consider how you can live with him in grace, like Jesus showed towards you even while you were still a sinner. If your husband is a believer, how can you honor him even when he fails and not rob him of his manhood? Maybe you're inwardly saying, though, yeah, but you don't know my husband. You don't know what it's like behind closed doors. You don't know what a jerk he is. Yeah, well, that's true. I don't know. You're wondering, how can you honor somebody that acts like that? But remember Peter's call to us as Christians to honor everyone, even when we don't want to, even dishonorable people. A good question to ask yourself is, what is influencing my actions and my reactions towards my husband? What's influencing you as you act and react? Is it a desire to be right, or is it a desire to just get your way? Do you want to manipulate conversations so that things go your way? Do you use sex as a tool to kind of get what you want? Or is it a desire to follow Christ? See, God put you into your marriage for gospel reasons. And he wants you to live it out with gospel intentionality, understanding that your marriage is not just about your satisfaction, but is there so you can be an instrument of grace in the life of your husband. And that as you live that way, and people see you living that way, they can say, what a good God she serves. You are God's primary instrument of grace in the life of your husband. Remember that. Christian rapper and author Jackie Hill Perry wrote this on Twitter. She said, wives, the command to submit to your husband is God inviting you to do what he's already done. Christ submitted to, and he can help you follow. But the commands in this text aren't just for wives. There's a command for husbands as well. So let's get to gospel intentionality for husbands. Likewise, husbands, verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, likewise is reminding the husbands to remember the context. Living in a way that honors everyone, shining the light of Christ through your role as a husband to your wife and to the surrounding community. Live in an understanding way towards your wives. Again, God has placed you in your marriage as a tool of his grace in the life of your wife. The New Living Translation paraphrases this well, I think, where it says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. 
She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So again, living with your wife in an understanding way, or in Greek it says with knowledge. Peter's referring with the knowledge of what it means to live out your call as a Christian. What does it mean to live out the gospel? To live with that fruit of the Spirit. Like I already said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Living in that way with those qualities towards your wife. Peter's reference to wives as the weaker vessel really is just referring to the, the fact of physical strength. In, in most marriages, the husband is stronger physically than the wife. And no one can deny this. Um, even in our day, people want to deny that, don't they? They want to deny that men are stronger than women, that there's any difference. So they start allowing men to participate in women's sports. And guess who wins? The men. Men are physically stronger. That's just a fact. It's a biological fact. It's a scientific fact. And Peter is saying, men, don't use your strength in a way that's intimidating, in a way that's abusive, in any kind of way to manipulate your wife. Do not. Maybe the wife is doing things that Peter prohibited earlier already. Uh, maybe the wife is an unbeliever. Peter doesn't give any qualifications for why he's saying this, but simply states that husbands as the stronger are to show honor to the weaker. And then Peter gives the husbands their command from gospel intentionality, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. It could also be translated as seen as heirs of the grace of life. So they are co-heirs of Christ's kingdom with you. They are fellow adopted children of God with you. There is no difference at the foot of the cross. You are equal in God's sight in regards to salvation, saved, redeemed, blessed, forgiven. So a good question to ask yourself as you think about being a husband in the home, what is influencing my actions and reactions towards my wife? Is it a desire to be in control? Are there selfish sexual things that you're looking at that cause you to want to manipulate things and use your, your power and your strength and your might to get your way? You just want to make sure you're the man. Listen, the greatest man who ever lived was Jesus. And if you read through the account of Jesus' ministry, how did he deal with women? He showed them grace. He showed them kindness. He showed them gentleness. He didn't call them down. And you're commanded to do the same. And think about it. Jesus even did that in an honor that didn't honor women. 
right? These, these cultures such as Rome or ancient Israel or many of these ancient cultures or many cultures even today throughout the world don't honor women. Here we, we live in a culture that does very much honor women and calls us to honor women. So you are called to do that with your wives. Honor your wife. Treat her with gentleness and respect. So much so that it will be to the point that you're willing to die for them. Ephesians 5.25, again, the Apostle Paul's command to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He gave himself up for her. He was willing to do anything it took to make her with him saved. To save his bride, the church, Jesus was willing to go the ultimate mile and die for her. And husbands, that is our call as well. To be willing to die for our wives, die to ourselves. Self-sacrificial love is what we are called to in our homes and if you aren't doing that, if you are only, if you're neglecting your call as a husband, if you're ne- neglecting your wives in some kind of way that is showing abuse or belittling or calling them down, you're neglecting your call as a Christian. God has given you authority in the home, and God has given you the call to act with grace, love, respect, honor towards everybody in the home. It doesn't matter how she's treating you either. Okay, He doesn't give qualifications. Well, if she's treating you poorly, you can treat her poorly. He doesn't do that. He's saying, as a Christian, you are called to love her even better than she's loving you. So if you choose to ignore this call, and instead you want to be angry and belligerent and some kind of loser of a husband you actually are putting your salvation on the line. Because you don't have God's heart. If you don't have God's heart towards others, how can you call yourself a Christian? It's not about some prayer you prayed 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. It is about the call to repent and follow Jesus on a daily basis. And if you aren't doing that, And if that's exemplified by the way that you're treating your household, Lord, have mercy on your soul. You'd better confess and repent now before God completely refuses your prayers. You are not called to be God's primary instrument of authority in the home. You are called to be God's primary instrument of grace a primary instrument of grace to transform by God's spirit, by God's power through you to transform and bring goodness into your home. So your call is to honor her, love her, and lead her with humility and grace. Getting to the last point, applications for both. Two applications for both husbands and wives. Number one, treat your spouse with grace. I've said this a couple times already tonight, or this morning. There's a fantastic marriage book that's worth reading called What Did You Expect 
by an author named Paul Tripp. Basically, the premise of the book is that we go into marriage expecting heaven, expecting that dream within a dream. That's what we want when we go into marriage. But then all of a sudden, we realize that adding a second person into our lives has simply only doubled the amount of sin. One sinner plus one sinner equals two sinners. And so things aren't always easy. Here's a quote from his book. When your ears hear and your eyes see the sin, weakness, or failure of your husband or wife, it is never an accident. It is always grace. God loves your spouse, and he is committed to transforming him or her by his grace. And he has chosen you to be one of his regular tools of change. And if you approach your marriage with that kind of attitude and that kind of understanding, you will both grow in grace. And your marriage will thrive and be better than anything that you've ever imagined. Number two, utilize your marriage as a witness for Christ. I'll share one personal story from Carla and my marriage or our life. How God used it to shine who Christ is. Um, so I have two friends uh, that aren't Christians. Um, I probably have more, but um, there's two in particular that I'm thinking of. Uh, one I went to BCIT with, the other I worked at Fairmont Hotels with. Um, both of these men would come over once in, a, in, once in a while, and both are single. And they would come over to our house, and they would just come after work, or you know, we were commuting down from Whistler or whatever, and he would just pop in for dinner. And, and these men would witness uh, how our family functioned. They would witness Carla um, just having fun with the kids and being a great host and being hospitable. They would witness how Carla and I interact with each other, how we raise, how we discipline our kids. And they would often marvel and just go, your family's amazing. And I... I'm not saying that here to try to get praise from people, okay? I'm just giving an example of two unbelievers came into our home, saw the way our family worked, and they didn't always see us at our best behavior either. But living with that kind of transparency, openness, inviting them into our home, one the ability to talk with these guys about the gospel. Long conversations, phone calls, chats in the car, chats at work. And as far as I know, neither of them are still are, are Christians, but I'm still friends with them. Our faithfulness to Christ in our words and deeds in the everyday stuff of life including our marriages, is one of the most powerful examples of Christian witness that there is. We need to be willing to invite people into that. So, as we go to pray, um, and then we're going to get to communion, think about these things. In the next couple of minutes, spend some time praying, um, Repenting of ways that you haven't loved your wife as Christ loves the church. Repenting of ways that you haven't been subject to your husbands and been gracious and, and merciful to them. 
And think about ways that you can move forward as you go home today and into your week and into the summer and use your marriage, use your call as a husband, your call as a wife to display the goodness of Christ to those around us because it is a powerful instrument that God can use. The quality of our marital relationships does point to the quality of our faith. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. Uh, and sometimes your word is, is hard and sometimes calls us to things that we would rather not think about. And I think for a lot of us today, this text is probably one of those. We don't, we don't really want to think about how we fail as wives or how we fail as husbands. We don't want to think about how we failed to show you through our marriage, how, how, we've, how we've neglected to show your goodness, your grace, your gospel, the good news of you, Jesus, through our marriages. We've neglected that, and we don't want to face that. But Lord, you don't let us get away from it. You show it to us here, and you call us to more. So Father, many of us in this room today repent of our attitudes, how we've treated our spouses, how we've neglected you in our marriages. Lord, lead us to better. We know that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because you, Lord Jesus, have paid the price for us. So Jesus, by your spirit, I pray that you strengthen us, that as we go from here today, if hard conversations need to happen at home, that you would give us the grace to be able to engage with those conversations. By your spirit, repair us, God. Fix our marriages. Fix us as husbands. Fix us as wives. You are good, Lord, and we entrust ourselves to you. Bless us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.